Father, we come before you now, and Lord, um, in the turmoil of everything that is happening in the world, Lord, we know that we need to hear your voice. We know that we need to hear you speak into the darkness that surrounds us in our lives and in the world around us. So Father, we come before you now with open hearts and minds and ask, Lord, that you would change us into the likeness of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So the saying goes, uh, sticks and stones uh, may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Um, and I just thought it would be interesting to test that phrase this morning <laughs> to see. So I want you to put your hands in the air if you've ever been walking around Lancaster and somebody has jumped out on you in the middle of the night with, in one hand, a bunch of sticks, and in the other hand, a bunch of stones, and then proceeded to break your arm. Has that, put your hands in the air. Okay, I'm sorry, one person at the back. Uh, <laughs> Lancaster's a dangerous place. Um, and then put your hands in the air if you've ever been hurt by someone's words. Okay, and it's pretty much everybody. Okay, so sticks and stones may break, but not true. They, well, they might do, um, but words will never hurt me. We know, don't we, that words are incredibly powerful, can be incredibly painful. And today, I guess the story that we're going to be thinking about is about the power of words. And even as we come to this just introduction of this kind of theme, there might even be straight away instances, words that people have spoken to you in your life that have caused you great pain and anguish. And this morning, we want to hear from Jesus a new set of words to define you. So let's dive into the story, shall we? Luke chapter 7. Open it up with me. I'll just read the story to us and then we'll see. And we're in, if you don't know, we're in this series talking uh, talking Jesus about conversations that Jesus has with different people. So here we are, one particular conversation Jesus has with a centurion. So Luke chapter 7 verse 1 says this, When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There was a centurion servant whom, whom, whose, whom his master valued highly was ill and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you, but... Say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and to that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him, and turned to the crowd following him and said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who, who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. So here we have the story, I guess, of a centurion, Roman centurion. Uh, and if you don't know much about Roman centurions, which you might not do, um, centurion is kind of where we get the word cent or century, so meaning a hundred. So centurion was a man who would have been in charge of a hundred Roman soldiers. And the Roman soldiers at this point in time were basically the occupying force in, in, in Israel. They, they'd invaded, they'd come, and they'd be basically ruling over the people of Israel, which as we're thinking about all that's happening in the news is a, an almost familiar story, isn't it? 
And so here's this guy, he's, he's part of basically the oppressors that have come to exercise authority on, on the Jewish people. And so it's likely as a centurion that he would have got to this place by doing some, maybe even some pretty horrific things to, 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 to the nation of Israel. And if not him, then maybe the people that he commanded would have done those things. And so in some sense, it might be surprising that he then is, you know, caring about, about maybe caring about a servant, we make a judgment about his heart and think, well, because he's like that, why would he care about his, his servant? But he clearly does. He says his servant is about to die. And um, I guess as a centurion, he could have easily, have, you know, just got another servant. But for some reason, there's something in his heart that particularly cares for this man. And then it says he's heard about Jesus and he's heard about Jesus and something he knows about Jesus. He thinks, you know, not, not I'll go to the Roman, you know, whatever the Roman version of the NHS was. I'll go to the, you know, the Roman, I don't know what it would have been, you know, healthcare or, or medical, medical people, whatever. But no, I'll go to Jesus, who's one of the people that I'm, I'm you know, of this country that I'm occupying. And maybe even in him, there's something that he's heard about that's convinced him of, you know, there's, there's a power about Jesus that's going to be able to help me in my situation. And not only that, but we, we see as well that, uh, so basically he, he then sends um, some Jewish elders. So again, he must have been friends with some of these Jewish people. Again, surprising. He sends some Jewish elders to go and speak to Jesus. And when they come to Jesus, they say, this centurion is a friend of our people and he's even paid for the synagogue. Which, by the way, you know, if you're a centurion watching this morning... This building needs a lot of work, <laughs> just saying. You know. um, so, so the centurion, he's obviously got some kind of leaning towards this idea of, of the Jewish God, of, of the God of the Bible. This must have been something that has happened to him that has kind of awakened this desire within him to reach out to the person of Jesus, but also to the Jewish nation. So he's, there's some, the Lord is basically doing something in this guy's life. Um, but I suppose as he's thinking about this and he's, you know, maybe you know, step inside his shoes for a minute, you know, he's someone who may, maybe has done some bad things in the past, maybe someone who doesn't really feel like he would fit in that kind of environment, a religious environment, a church environment, fit in with that kind of crowd because he's not that kind of person. But then he has this realization, you know, God is real. The God of Israel is, is the one true God. And, and I violated his people, but I kind of, you know, I know that he's real. And so he does what he can. He, he pays for this synagogue refurbishment, whatever it is. And then, and then when he gets to this point of crisis and a servant that he, and we don't know the backstory, for some reason he really cares about, his life is on the line. He's like, what can I do? And he knows, you know, well, if God is, is real and who we think he is and, and, and if this Jesus that I've heard so much about, if, he, maybe if he's the Messiah, if he's the Christ that, that the Old Testament scriptures speak about, then he's the person that I need. And he, maybe he's heard the stories of Jesus healing the sick and the blind. And, and, and he's heard all of this and he, and he knows somehow there's something about Jesus. I've, I've got to reach out to him. But you can imagine our dilemma, can't you? Okay, well, if Jesus is a great you know, Jewish rabbi, who's capable, you know, and uh, even if he's God himself, but then who am I as a Roman centurion? You know, someone who has violated God's people, who's maybe done awful things, who doesn't deserve to come near him. Who am I? 
Who am I to come near him? And so what he does is he finds some, you know, because he's obviously made friends with some Jewish people along the way, and he, and he finds them, and he's, you know, well, you go instead to Jesus, and maybe you could convince him, and then, may, and then maybe he might come and heal my servants. So that's what he does. He gathers these Jewish friends. He sends them off to go and speak to Jesus. They speak to Jesus and persuade him, and, and, and maybe the centurion is like, you know, this is such a shot in the dark. I don't even think that Jesus would even consider coming but it's kind of worth a go because of the extent of the situation that I'm in at the moment. And so he, 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 he does that. And then, of, of, of course, what does Jesus do? But if there's one thing we know about Jesus, right, is he's not bothered about coming to people's houses that he shouldn't, you know, and mixing with company where he shouldn't really be at. He does this sort of thing all the time. So, of course, inevitably, Jesus says, yes, yes, the centurion needs help. Of course, I'll be there because we know, don't we, as we read through the Gospels, that it's these sorts of people, the people that have run away from God and turned their back on him, who might think in the eyes of the world least deserve it, who Jesus cares is most compassionately about we see it ripped through all the pages of the gospels and so of course Jesus says I'll come and he sets off on the journey with the Jewish elders and and all the rest of it crowd following him disciples around they set off towards this guy's house and the centurion meanwhile I guess is at home looking after the servant he doesn't know because you know Jesus isn't on Instagram, there's no WhatsApp or anything, you know, so he doesn't, he's not aware that they're coming until maybe he sees them out the window or he hears a rumour that they're on the outskirts of the village and then, and then he panics. He's like, what? Jesus is coming to see me. And all of that sense of shame and all of that sense of unworthiness that he has felt over the years piles on top of him. And this, remember, is the power of words, right? People would have told him over the years, well, you're a centurion. No, but God would not be interested in you. You're a centurion. Jesus, the Jewish rabbi, he would not be interested in you. He would not want to mix with you or be associated with you or have anything to do with you. And those are words that he has heard over years, perhaps, because that's the culture of the day that have become ingrained within his mental state. And so he becomes in the, almost in this sense of panic, you know? And I imagine, you know, maybe he's running around, he's clearing up the house. Maybe he thinks, oh, well, when Jesus gets here and he actually sees me, maybe he'll change his mind. Maybe the centurion knows he's got a particularly, I don't know, aggressive resting face or something. You know, something. it's like when he sees me, you know, Maybe he'll change his mind. And so he, he panics and, and he sends some more friends to go and speak to Jesus. And they say, you know, the, the centurion has said, you know, you're not even worthy. And he doesn't feel even worthy enough for Jesus to come into his house. And then he says something remarkable that shows a level of faith and belief and understanding of who Jesus is that no one else ever sees. He says, Jesus, all you have to do is just say the word and my servant will be healed. And it comes out of this place of panic. But out of this place of panic, he actually stumbles across an incredible theological truth. That it is the words of Jesus that count. It is the words of Jesus 
that are powerful. It's the words of Jesus that make a difference, not those voices that make you feel ashamed and indifferent and looked down upon, but it's the words of Jesus that rise up above them all. And he says he knows this because as a, as a centurion, right, he says, you know, I, I, I've got 100 people that, you know, under me, and I tell them what to do, and they go and do it. And then above me, there's Caesar, and whatever Caesar says, you know, I've got to do. And he says, you know, increase the taxes, the taxes increase. He says, you know, dispatch these troops here, and they go. Whatever he says kind of goes. And so he has this understanding, you know, if you are a person in authority, if you are a person of power, then all you have to do is say the word, and your will is carried out in reality. And we'll know this too, to be true, won't we, as well? You know, you think... Um, uh, of, of what's happening in the Ukraine at the moment is, is tragic and awful, but in, in the end, really, it's the result of one man's words. You know, he says, and the troops go, and that's, that's the way it works, right? We know in all sorts of other ways as well, you know, it, uh, even, even kind of less, less to do with authority, maybe, but, but words that you have said yourself would have had a profound impact upon your life. Some of you would have walked down the aisle stood there at the front of a church, even this church, and said those words, I do, has a profound effect upon the reality around you. You know, whenever you, those words that you speak have an effect upon the reality that surrounds you, they actually start to change the reality around you. There might be other times when you've said yes, that just that word yes, to something, and it has a profound effect upon the reality that surrounds you. Or a time when you've said no, and it's had a profound effect upon the reality that surrounds you. Words are incredibly powerful. And to take a step back from that, almost to some of the other things we've been maybe you know, touching on this morning, is that words have a profoundly powerful effect as well upon your psychology, upon your kind of mental state. You know, you think of, it's the words of teachers and parents and friends, especially when you're younger. The things they say to you characterize then the person that you become, right? So if you say to a child, you know, you'll never come to anything, you're not worth anything, you're rubbish, you're useless. It doesn't matter how gifted they are, they will grow up believing that is true, and it is inevitable that their potential will never be fully realized because of the words that have been spoken to them, which may well have been a lie, but have come to characterize the person that they have become. And this is the way that it works, right? Because as human beings, we, kind, you know, we have this ability to imagine a future and then to live into that future. And if the future that someone else paints for us is tragic and less than what we could actually achieve and full of shame and despair and guilt, then we will start to live into that reality. Words create new realities. And I think this is interesting because we see it throughout, you know, in the Gospels and um, a few of us have been reading this book together by John Mark Hamer called Live No Lies. And John Mark Homer, he really kind of touches on this in this book and he talks about the way in which this is actually the way in which, about to, about to get heavy, but this is actually the way that the devil comes and attacks you. You know, sometimes I think as, you, know, Chris, you hear Christians talking about, you know, spiritual warfare and, and the devil attacking you. And John Mark Homer says, you know, sometimes it's like you hear Christians talking about spiritual warfare. Like, I've been really, you know, I've been under attack from Satan this week. And you're like, oh, that sounds very heavy. What happens? Like, oh, well, uh, the toaster burnt my toast this morning. You know, and it's stuff like that as if the Satan is living in your toaster, burning your, you know, <laughs> I'd, be, I'd probably get rid of that toaster, get a new one. Um, <laughs> but it's not, it's, you know, he's saying actually, well, sometimes it can be like that, okay? But so often the way that he normally works is through the power of words. 
and in John chapter 8, and Jesus is primary teaching about the devil, he says that he is the father of lies. And the way that he comes to attack you is with words and ideas that are not true. And that is his primary way. It's, it's the same as what is happening in Russia at the moment. It's a campaign of disinformation to cause you to believe things that are not true so that your reality would be severely disaffected by what it is that you have come to believe. You think this is what happens, um, and John Mark Comer says, you know, this is what happens in the Garden of Eden. As Satan comes to attack Adam and Eve, he doesn't come at them with a faulty toaster. He doesn't come at them with a sword. He doesn't come at them with any kind of like a weapon that you might recognize as, you know, from physical warfare. He comes at Adam and Eve with a word, with an idea. Did God really say that? As Jesus is in the wilderness, Satan comes and attacks him with words. And they're words that play to what John Mark Homer describes as disordered desires. So he comes and he says words to you that appeal to something inside of you that you kind of know is there. You know, you maybe, maybe if, you know, take an example, you're, imagine you're, you're married and, you, and you're kind of struggling in your marriage and Satan will come at you in that moment and say, well, oh, well wouldn't you be happier if, if you pursued that affair? Wouldn't you be happier if you if you kind of left and were with someone else. And it's a lie that he tells you, but he feeds in something that then starts to create a new reality that you live in. Because as you believe that lie, that lie over time actually becomes the truth that you live. Now my guess here this morning is that there will be many of us who either through who the devil himself has fed lies to you, or it could be parents, or it could be teachers, or it could be friends. I can think of a teacher when I was at primary school. Who I, I mean, I was probably quite annoying as a, a primary, to be honest, as a ten-year-old. <laughs> it was like you know causing trouble, but letting someone else take the fall. But the, t- the teacher probably never saw that. She probably saw straight through me. Uh, as, but she was, you know, she didn't treat me very well. She often like talked in a way very disparaging to me, and that that had an effect upon my academic ability for sure you know and it might be the same for you you know there have been words that have been spoken to you that have had an effect on you over time and have caused you to live out a new truth and a new reality in your life that is actually based on a lie rather than the truth I guess that's what we see happening to this centurion but what the centurion realizes is that although words are powerful and although the words spoken to you have had a powerful effect upon your life Jesus's words are more powerful still because when he speaks, stuff happens in a way in which it doesn't happen for anyone else when they speak. When he speaks, when he says to the storm, be still, the actual molecules of the sea rearrange themselves to create calmness. And the actual wind dies down. Your, your teachers at school never could do that. You know, your pet, no one can ever have the authority that Jesus has over creation. When he speaks, stuff happens happens when he says to the man pick up your mat and walk he picks up his mat and walks when he says to the blind see they see and obviously as God himself when he speaks let there be light and light appears when he says let the you know let this let the sea um, divide from the land the sea divides from the land whatever he speaks becomes reality and the actual physical properties of the universe rearrange themselves in such a way so that his words create a new reality in a way that is above and beyond what anyone else's words are ever capable of. And so when he says to you, you are good, you are righteous, you are loved, he's not just giving you his opinion. 
He's actually making you into those things. When he says it is finished, and he talks about pain and suffering and death and sin, he's not just saying empty words. It literally is finished, and the victory is won. When we're in like the turmoil of life, and like everything around us just feels like it's full of anxiety, and you know, and you're kind of watching what's happening on the news, maybe you've got pressures in your home life, pressures at work, and it just feels like stuff is mounting up and mounting up and mounting up. You've just got to hear the words of Jesus, you know, be still. Be still and know that I am God. And know that his voice is more powerful than any of those other voices. What he says that you are is the thing that defines you, is the thing that characterizes you, is more powerful than anything else by default. And so there might have been words that have been spoken over you that have caused you to live into new realities that maybe you're living in now. But today, as you come to Jesus, there's a chance to hear afresh. You know, just one word and you will be changed. Just one word and you will be healed. And what he says about you is more powerful in excess than what anyone else says about you. And I think this is what obviously the centurion realizes. He, he sees, you know, for some reason he understands this, right? He gets it. He's like, Jesus' words have power. And so he asks Jesus to heal his servant without Jesus even being there. And in that moment, what the centurion does is, is actually something that has never been done before, as far as we know anyway. As you read through the gospel accounts, every single time that Jesus heals someone, he is physically present. He's never done this before, so far as we know, where there's been an incident where Jesus has healed somebody through his word at a distance and so it's like the centurion has the faith to believe that somehow Jesus' words are, doing, are capable of doing something that is totally unprecedented, that has never happened before and that is entirely new and fresh. And now isn't that a challenge to us here this morning? To believe in the middle of life circumstances at the moment that actually Jesus' words are capable in your life right now of doing something unprecedented, something that has never ever been done before. Because you might have you know, had all sorts of words spoken to you before, maybe by counsel counselors, maybe by, by health professionals, maybe by friends and family that have tried to encourage you, and you've kind of felt like none of it has ever worked, and you're still in that kind of place where Jesus' words, let's believe they're capable of doing something unprecedented in your life. Let's believe they're capable of doing something unprecedented in the world that has never, ever happened before. It says that when the centurion did this, it says Jesus was amazed at his faith. Jesus only says those words one other time in the Gospels, and that's about Israel's lack of faith. Here, he holds this guy up as a champion of the faith in the Gospel accounts. Here, this guy who understands the words of Jesus have an unprecedented power to change the very fabric of the universe. And so this morning, let's believe in Jesus, you know, let's believe for him to be able to do something unprecedented in our time through the words that he brings. And I think, um, I think there's four ways in which 
that I've written down that I, think, that I think we need to see that and believe that and maybe recapture in this moment as we're at this kind of chaotic time in history to really believe and be rooted and have an unprecedented faith in the words of God again. So four areas in particular. The first one is, is the Bible, right? Pretty obvious, but the Bible being the authoritative word of God, this being the primary way in which he speaks where it is black and white. These are his words. This is what God says to us. And a faith to believe that, you know, that this, this is not just, just a history book, it's not just empty words on a page, but actually this, these are words that have power and have had power in history and we can put our faith and believe in them again, that even today they will still have power as they have done throughout the centuries. You know, I don't know if you know the story of Adoniram Judson, I, I've always blown away by his story. He was a missionary to Burma. And uh, he went to Burma and um, had a pretty a horrific time. Okay, in Burma he was um, uh, he, he got ser- very very seriously ill. As did all of his family. His children died. So did his wife. He suffered from, from very very severe depression. And basically, in his gospel ministry, he saw basically nobody come to faith. He was there for 30, 40 years. Saw maybe two or three people come to know the Lord during that time. But the one thing that he did manage to do was translate the whole of the Bible into the Burmese language. And by the time he died, he just about finished that work. What he didn't know was what happened after he died. A hundred years after Judson died, there were around 700,000 Christian believers in Burma and all of them said that they owed their spiritual heritage to this one man, Judson, who translated the Bible into the Burmese language. That's all he did, is he just put the Bible in the hands of the people and the language that they could read and it exploded. Part of the reason why it exploded was, and he, he had no idea that this was the case, but um, as he was trying to reach the urban areas of Burma, Uh, very much a Buddhist culture, found it very hard to try and reach people, but lots of the the kind of more rural communities, uh, they had folk religions, and these folk religions went along the lines of this, they were like, you know, our great, our forefathers were once in this garden, Uh, they were thrown out of the garden, but one day somebody will bring a book that will restore to us the faith of our forefathers. Now these groups had nothing to do with any kind of Judean, Judean Christian history. They'd never met a missionary before. They'd never come across any kind of Jewish teaching before. But they had this, crazy isn't it, but they had this story in their heritage. And so you can imagine what happens, right? When the Bible's translated into the Burmese language and they get given it, there's just explosion of revival as people come to faith in, in Jesus Christ. You know, there's a power in the scriptures that is unbelievable. I only learnt this this week, but apparently... Um, there is a, a two, two words that are repeated 3,990 times in the Bible. And those words are but God. Isn't that powerful? You know, but God, you know, Adam and Eve were taken out of the garden, but God made a promise. You know, there was a great flood coming, but God remembered Noah. You know, my heart and my flesh may fail, but God is my strength forever. You know, but God, 3,990 times he speaks those words to us but God, in the midst of your circumstances, but God. Right, there's, there's power in this. Okay, that's the first way that God speaks. Second way that you might hear God, God speak, and this is not, authorit- not in an authoritative sense like it is in the Bible, but you might hear God speak to you through just, you know, just an intuition that comes into your mind. Maybe you sense the Lord just drop an idea or a word or a phrase or a scripture 
into your mind. Now, that might kind of seem a bit mystical to you, and we want to kind of hold it up and say, well, this is not the same as the Bible. There will be times, and you might hear this in church, where someone's like, you know, I, I just sense the Lord might be saying, you know, such and such. And we can't say for sure that that is definitely what he's saying, but we are to pay attention to those things and to take them seriously and to weigh them up and say, well, you know, the Bible comes first, so if someone says that and, and it doesn't really agree with what the Bible says, then obviously it's not really right. But if it's kind of, it seems in line with what the Lord is doing, if it kind of matches with what it seems to be what he's doing in the, in, in the rest of the kind of context that you're in, in the life of the church or the life of the person you're speaking to, then it makes sense to say, well, hey, we don't know, this could be the Lord. Let's, let's find out if it is, you know. Let's have an unprecedented faith to believe that God can still speak in that kind of way and will speak in that kind of way. Um, there's a few examples of that recently. It should be a bit more difficult to share, but, but one that stands out for me when I first became a Christian was, was I, I can remember we were, I was at a midnight mass service with a few friends and one of them, um, they, since they had this word from the Lord that we were to go to this particular place in Reading Town Centre and meet some homeless people and give them some blankets and scarves and hats and stuff like that. So anyway, we were like, you know, if, well first, it doesn't, doesn't, you know, that doesn't go against scripture. There's nothing wrong with, you know, giving stuff out to homeless people. Um, so, you know, this got, we've kind of got nothing to lose. We may as well, you know, well, let's go and see. Could this be the Lord? Let's go and find out. Um, and so we kind of went with that attitude, got some stuff together, drove out into Reddington Centre. And this person, she had an idea of exactly where it was that we were supposed to meet these people. And as we got to that point, it looked like there was nobody there. But as we got there, a group of homeless people converged on exactly the same point where she felt like we were supposed to go and meet. And at the time, I was still wondering whether all this stuff was real. And I was like, wow, you know, this is crazy. You know, God, God's speaking to people. So let's have an unprecedented faith that God would speak not just through the scriptures, that's how he primarily speaks, and we should get them into the hands of people, but also God speaks through just dropping words into people's minds and and you might have questions about how you can kind of access that and it's not enough time maybe to deal with that this morning but it might just be you know an idea or a phrase that pops into your mind and you're like where did that come from what you know could that was that some was that just a random thought that I had or was that something from the Lord and the more you kind of tune into it and weigh it up and pray about it the more I think it becomes easy to distinguish what those things are so let's have an unprecedented faith that those things would, would happen. And then thirdly, um, God's, God's voice, uh, and three and four, these kind of come together. God's, God's voice actually comes through you because if the Holy Spirit is living inside of you, then as you pray and as you speak to people and you're conformed into the image of Christ, then more often actually there will be a sense in which words that might not be directly from God but are characteristic of him will pour out of your life and especially in prayer and there might even be times in prayer where you are praying and you sense that God has actually put something on your heart to pray for it might be you actually you pray the words of scripture and then you're obviously praying God's word it might be God just gives you a sense of something that you are to pray for and then again you are in a sense praying his word and as you speak those words again let's have an unprecedented faith to believe that stuff will happen like we have never seen before. 
like a couple of Sundays ago, um, when we spent some time praying for the situation in the Ukraine, and I felt really uh, just a sense in my spirit that we should pray for uh, for some of the, like the, like um, um, military machinery and vehicles and stuff to break down and, and to not work. Um, and so pray that prayer. And then the next day on the news, or a couple of days later, was when it said, you know, this 40 long mile convoy on the way to, to Kiev is broken down. And I was like, this is crazy. You know, that's kind of what I, and I sense that Lord's saying, you pray for it. And then it happened. And I, I don't take full, full, obviously full credit. Um, there's, you know, probably the, there were, you know, millions of people were praying on that night. And, and probably the Lord was putting the same thing on leads of other people's hearts to pray the same thing. But, you know, let's have an unprecedented faith to believe that as we, as we listen to him and we pray for those things that he puts on our hearts, that unprecedented things would, would begin to happen. And then as we encourage one another, as, as well through our words and, and sometimes that also might be a sense you know the Lord has put this you know um, you know you might go up to some you know go up to someone but you know I just sense the Lord saying this to you or you might just say it but because of the Spirit's work in your life there is a sense in which God is using you at that moment to speak into someone's life without you even being aware of it but as you encourage people and as you speak words of life to them and as you build them up and as you sharpen them you know let's have an unprecedented faith to believe that that will have a huge impact on people's lives and I know for me like I would not be stood here today if it wasn't for the people that had taken the time to speak words of life and encouragement to me and build me up and say those words that are effectively the words of God to encourage me So let's have an unprecedented faith to believe. The words of God are powerful to create new realities in people's lives and in the world. And it happens as we get the Bible into people's hands and as we pick it up and read it ourselves. You know, read it with that faith to believe that you would be changed as you read it. Let's have the faith to believe that as we pray the words that the Holy Spirit gives us and we pray the words of Scripture, let's have an unprecedented faith to believe it would have an impact and make a difference on the world in which we we live in. Let's have a faith to believe believe that as we speak words of encouragement to each other and those are words that are you know the words of life words that may be from the bible words that maybe the holy spirit gives us words that maybe just come out of our souls because we we've got the holy spirit living in us let's have a faith to believe that those words would have an unprecedented effect on the people around you you know how much difference it just makes sometimes when you just stop and take the time to go and encourage somebody or just pray for them and build them up. It makes, it makes such a huge difference to them in a world where we are surrounded by words that tear us down and make us feel less and make us feel small. So we have a God, don't we, who is not silent. Hallelujah. A God that speaks to us. A God that speaks into the world and speaks light and life. Let's have a faith to believe this morning that he would do it again as he did in Judson's day. He would do it again and that he would speak those words into people's lives in a powerful and in a profound way.